Thank you for taking the time to join us. In today's podcast, we're learning parenting principles from expert Bobby Torres, who has been helping parents learn to guide their children from the heart for the past 15 years. We hope you enjoy this episode and it gives you inspiration for your family growth. Here's Bobby. A concept in the United States of America that parenting and the training of of being a parent is actually something that is necessary. And of course, we now live in a society where there's so many values and cultures. It's it's just a, a smorgasbord of values in our nation that if you send your children out to school or to have friends, you really don't know what they're learning and what they're, you know, what they could be uh, acquiring in their knowledge base. So you have to be very focused about your parenting. And uh, it is a, a really big deal. I have been doing rehab uh, and treatment programs and helping troubled teens and children for 23 years uh, since I was a troubled teen. And uh, I can tell you that through all the years of experimenting and uh, trying different techniques and things, I mean, we've tried everything to help turn people around. And we have discovered that the number one uh, thing of all that helps children turn around is effective parenting. It is like a science. If you can adopt and acquire effective parenting skills, I'm telling you, you can literally designate the direction that your child will go in. Train, you know, uh, the, the, the proverb says, train up a child the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart. So there's something to be said about effective training, effective parenting, that you can trust there will be results. You just got to have patience. You got to know that like a farmer, you know, what you sow today, you're going to reap in another season. You're going to get a harvest. You got to get out of the hourly wage mentality. You know, you're not going to get results in an hour. (laughs) You you, got to believe that what you're sowing, you're going to, you know, as long as the earth remains, there will always be seed time and harvest. There will always be the concept of what you sow, you're going to reap. And so that's just a very important principle. I uh, raised three children of my own. I've been married for 23 years to the same woman. Hey, sometimes you got to encourage yourself, right? You got to give yourself a pat on the back. You know, hey, that's a, that's, a, that's a big thing for my generation, okay? Considering we're living in a time where, you know, the divorce rate is high. But my children are adults now. One of them went astray. And I do a weekly parenting workshop on the phone, on a phone conference call. We have brochures somewhere in there, a flyer. And I walked the parents through three years of what I was doing to try to win my daughter's heart back to, you know, the, her, she just went out there and was doing drugs and living a wasteful lifestyle. And we got to see her come back beautifully. And now she's working in our business and doing all sorts of great things, helping out uh, children and just an amazing little girl. The other two have done well. And so, you know, it's not really, are your children going to, are going to do wrong things? Are they going to misbehave? That's not the question. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to to train them and direct them in the right way? So I can tell you that one technique that you use or one routine can be the difference between you and your child having a separation of relationship and going in two different directions, but because you do one thing right, it could it could be the very thing that keeps you and that, that child and your influence in their lives for the rest of their lives. And uh, so that's that's really cool. Okay. I'm going to give you uh, an instruction on, on uh, teaching children to listen and to follow instruction. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Wouldn't that be just great? Teaching them to listen and how to follow through with these instructions. That's just something that we want to know how to do. So I'm going to give you some real practical things. There's five steps, okay? 
five steps, and in each step, there's a, there's a routine for the parent as well as for the child, okay? Now, we're going to set up this process of giving instructions with the first two steps. The first step is when you're, you're going to be giving your child instruction, you're trying to get them to listen to you, you want to get close to your child, step number one, okay? You want to uh, demonstrate to them that they are valuable and that what you're about to tell them holds a lot of weight. So you're going to get close to them, and this is going to feed into them, into their value system, that, uh, you know, that you are serious and that this is important. Uh, now, don't assume it's rebellion whenever your children wander off or forget to do a task or they just ignore mom or dad. Don't assume that it's rebellion and that right away we need to pull out consequences and discipline, okay? They're immature. And even as they get older, even in their teen years, you got to discern what immaturity is all about. Even though uh, you just assume, well, they're grown up now, you know, come on, how many adult people do you know that still have childlike immaturities, right? So, you know, there's some, there's, don't always assume the worst, but, but first let's look at, it's just a matter of they're immature and their attention focus is, is very limited and, you know, they don't necessarily have ADD, they're just children, okay? So, um, you see, what you're doing is you're raising the felt value of instructions through physical closeness and, and that's... Uh, when you're telling them you're going you're gonna to have close proximity, and if they're little children, you're going to kneel down and look at them eye to eye. Whenever I, see, whenever I meet or greet little children, I have a tendency to kind of kneel down and, and say, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, and I just kind of give them a word of encouragement, and I kind of look at them eye to eye. Because can you imagine from their little world, they're looking at all these intimidating tall giants all over the place. I remember one time I, uh, I, when my children were real little, and I do this with, with, with other people's children, I, I got on my knees and I asked him, show me your world, and it's amazing. I remember one time my son, and he just thought it was funny that I was on my knees, and he just felt kind of goofy about it. So he starts taking me throughout his little adventure, and, you know, it was amazing because I discovered a whole entire world down at his level. There was all these little markings on the walls, these little nooks, and it's just things that I never would have noticed, you know. And so it just gives them that sense that, hey, you know, we're building a relationship. Look into their eyes. Look at them face to face, you know. Stoop down to their level. And, 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 and what you're doing is you're breaking the child's concentration um, through, through, through not only close proximity, but also physical touch. You know, maybe you put your hand on their shoulder. Uh, maybe you hold a hand or whatever. Maybe you, you know, just, just to let them know there's, there's a connection being made. This is amazing what it does. This preserves and strengthens the relationship. It sets the stage for greater cooperation between you and your child. And that's what you want. You're looking for cooperation. You're teaching them a value that later on when they get older and when they become adults, they understand how to be team players, how to cooperate, how to follow instructions, how to work. Because how many of you know there are adults who can't even do this because those values weren't instilled within their lives when they were little children, okay? And uh, you want them to, you want to, by doing this, we're taking the routine or the religion out of the relationship because we're not just screaming out instructions anymore. Hey, get that done, and you walk away. And you almost assume <laughs> that they're not going to do it. You've gotten to the point, by the time they come, become teenagers, it's interesting, you're still screaming out routines and instructions, and you know they're not going to do it, but you just, like, it's insanity, you know? Hey, Johnny, go out there and uh, take out the garbage, and you walk away, and you know it's not going to get done. But you're still saying the same thing. I've seen some adults tell their adult children who are married and gone away from the home, still doing the same thing. And I think it's because maybe there's, there's, there's a, 
something was lost in that relationship and they're trying to desperately get it back. And maybe it's just sort of a, a desire that's there. So that's the first step for the, for the parent. We're setting up the stage before we give the instruction, okay? Now, for the child, we want to, and we word this very clearly, uh, we've labeled it, if you will, we want to teach the child to learn to come when called. Now, that sounds very basic, but I'm telling you, follow these routines. Uh, and practice it, you know, practice this routine. Tell little Billy, he may be three years old, tell him, okay, Billy, stand over there by the chair, and we're going to play a little game. When I call your name, I want you to come over to me and say, yes, Daddy, okay, or however you're addressed. Are you ready? Okay, Billy, here we go. All right. Hey, Billy, and Billy comes running over to you, and he says, yes, Daddy, and give him a hug. Say, All right, good, and you applaud him, and you praise him because you're teaching him the, uh, you know, the, you know how they say, I just learned this, that muscle has memory. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have worked on that certain muscle when I was younger, you know, because there was certain muscles I worked on when I was younger. Now I just like, you know, just a little bit of protein or just a little bit of working out. All of a sudden, you know, muscle just comes out there like, hey, that looks good. But the ones I didn't work on, man, they ain't coming out for nothing, you know. Well, the same thing when you, when you mentally, when you walk through a certain uh, pattern, it becomes, of course, it's behavior mod. doesn't necessarily change the heart, but, but of course, you got to learn patterns so that you can be open for heart change. And so you're teaching the, the child this, this concept about learning to come when called. So you've got the first, um, the first step for the parent and for the child. Now, the second step, again, we're setting up before we give the instruction, is for you as a parent to consider the timing, okay? Oftentimes, you're getting resistance from a child because you haven't taken the time to just take a step back and just consider, is this the right time? You know, a little sensitivity can foster great cooperation and head off larger problems down the road. Put yourself in their shoes. How, how many of you are married? There's times that you're just a little heated up, the situation just smacked you right in the face, and your spouse wants to deal with it right now, and you just need a little bit of space. It's not the right time. No, we're going to deal with it right now. And what happens is words are exchanged, things are said that wouldn't have been said had there been a little bit of a timing gap, right? And so, and I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really learning to master this thing. Uh, we do a thing called the break. Instead of timeout, we do a thing called the break where we, we, we tilt, we, uh, instead of saying you're on timeout, now you've been sentenced for an hour in prison, and then they're only looking to the goal to get out of prison and then go back to their old ways. Instead, we put the responsibility on the child by saying, you know, you, you need to take a break from family life right now, and when you've had a change of heart, you got to use those words, when you've had a heart change, then come back and talk to me. So the child walks away, there's no time, there's no prison, there's no bars, and then they're like, I got to change my heart. What does that mean? And they have to go inside their heart. And then what happens is, like, the, like with the rest of us, a little bit of time passes, a little meditation, a little giving it some thought, come back, mom, you know, I realized I was a little heated up. And then things weren't said that could create hurt that maybe was unnecessary, okay? So consider the timing. Um, ask yourself, you know, when would be the best time? So what else? Okay, for now, step two for the child, again, we're setting up before the instruction, is you're going to teach the child, even though we are sensitive to their 
situation by considering timing, it doesn't mean that they cannot be interrupted and that they shouldn't be always ready to receive an instruction. Okay, so on my end, I'm going to be sensitive to you, but on your end, you need to be ready at all times to receive an instruction. It's something that you want to instill within them. Oh, really? Huh, that's an idea. So I should be ready at all times to receive an instruction. That's right. So if you're playing, you're on the computer, you're doing whatever, you're with your friends, if I call on you, you know that I've been sensitive, and if I'm calling on you, hey, you need to be ready to receive an instruction. So uh, this is something that really goes a long way. Uh, you'll, you'll be amazed at, um, at the kind of cooperation that you get. There's a story uh, about a boy named Samuel, and uh, he was, uh, it's actually a biblical story. It's about a boy named Samuel who uh, was living in the temple, and, and the, the, the priest of the temple was named Eli, and three times he called Samuel, or at least he heard Eli's voice, in the middle of the night. Now, can you imagine being woken up in the middle of the night, and every time your leader or your parent said, I didn't call you. So, one, you're being bothered in the middle of the night, and then it turns out that, that your parent or your leader or your employer, whoever it is, is saying, I never called you. So you're being disturbed three times in the night. And then after that third time, he, uh, Eli realized that it was God who was calling uh, uh, little Samuel. And then he got, from that experience, he was able to learn a lot of valuable things that, that you know, developed him as a man. So what we, we want to do here is we want to teach our children to be responsive. To be, the, see, the, hear the word responsive. Because it starts with you as a parent, but later on, they're going to be dealing with employers. They're going to be dealing with teachers. They already are if they're in school. But if they're preschoolers, they're going to be dealing with teachers, spouses, I mean, all sorts of people, authorities. And if they don't have that value of being responsive, of being ready to receive instruction, then they're going to run into many, many problems. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, a teenager working at a grocery store and maybe moving products down the aisle and the boss calls them and says, hey, uh, so-and-so, I need you to come over here. Can you imagine the teenager saying, hey, I'm busy. I can't do that right now. I mean, you see, that, that, and that, believe it or not, that is what's happening. I work with lots of teenagers, and it's amazing. You would think, you probably might tell the, the, the child or the teenager, what were you thinking? You should know better. Why should they know better? They sincerely don't understand that they need to be ready to receive instruction. So they need to be taught, okay? And that's all I'm saying. Okay, now we're ready to give the instruction, okay? That's step number three. So you've done a little preparation. You're ready to give the instruction. And the way that you communicate this instruction is very, very important, very vital. Now, you don't want to be giving a suggestion. You don't want to be giving your opinion. There needs to be a distinct and very firm tone in your voice without anger, okay? Now, we're not talking about you're angry here. That, that, that may be part of the timing issue. Maybe you need to cool down, settle down. Maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you need to have a hard change, okay? And I, was, I didn't finish telling you earlier that I use this break for myself. It, it works wonders. I'll, maybe an employee didn't do something they were supposed to. Maybe their responsibility is really clear or whatever. Maybe whoever it is I'm dealing with. And I'll find myself being a little heated up, a little passionate, which, you know, when you're passionate, the truth comes out, right? good or bad. And that's why sometimes they don't like passion. People don't like passion because you may, your, your favorite speaker is passionate, but then 
some of the worst people reveal. But so you want to take take a take a break. And I'll take a break and I'll just settle down. And it's amazing how my heart sort of recuperates itself. And then I'm able to come back with a better attitude, you know, a little more, a lot more open-minded, better spirit, all that. So you definitely want to be firm and have a a very firm tone of voice, but you don't want to be angry because you can be having a a good settled spirit and still be firm at the same time. So you don't want to say things like, you know, Johnny, I think you should do your homework. Well, that's a great opinion of yours. You know, that's awesome. And you wonder why there's no response. Um, or how about this one? Do you want to go to bed now, Chrissy? No. The, the, the answer is obvious. I don't want to go to bed. And But see, sometimes I think, I think our problem is we want to be so polite. We want to say, you know, do you, know, do you, do you want to go to bed? Do you? Do you, wouldn't you rather eat your vegetables instead of that ice cream? We want them out of the kindness of their hearts to just say, yes, mom, I just so want to eat my broccoli and my spinach and just put, totally push the ice cream away. And we just want them to be so sincere and so, but, that, but you know, you can't bank on that kind of stuff. I mean, when they're children, they're, they have a tendency to always choose, you know, the ice cream over the, over the vegetables, okay? Now, when you get to be my age, I was sitting today at uh, Red Lobster, and I'm telling you what, I'm eating my broccoli. And there was somebody at the table who was under 30, and they're eating fried this and not eating. And I'm saying, aren't you going to eat your vegetables? And, and she's about to turn 30, and I'm saying, you know what? You better enjoy it. You got one more year, sister, and you're going to be eating the broccoli along with me. You know what I mean? We are experienced. We, we, we know how to do these kinds of things. Children aren't that way. So you want to be very direct about giving the instruction. And, and when you give the instruction, you want to embed some cues, okay? Here they are. You want to start with your child's name, Bobby. And you want to end with now, and somewhere in the middle, you want to put you need to. Bobby, you need to go to bed now, okay? That's how you need to word it. The instruction needs to be very, very clear. Now, step three for the child is for, the, for them to answer back, okay? For the child to answer. Now, again, that sounds very simple, but f- watch the logic of this, um, when the child answers back, what they're doing is they're acknowledging what you've said by simply, by simply saying, okay, mom. Because how many times have you given out an instruction and the child just keeps on going about their business? And you're not sure if they, you know, you might assume that they heard you because it was loud and clear. But you don't want to assume anything. Because how many times, even as adults, do we have, especially those of us that are married, or even with children, of course, or anybody for that matter, um, you know, I say red, and the person said, sure, no problem. But in their algebraic equation, red equals blue. You know what I mean? What did, why did you do that? You said, you said blue. No, I did not. I said red. And so you're a liar. No, you're a liar. But really, it was a misunderstanding. Isn't it true that you've been accused of lying or you never did it or you never said it? But it was a sincere misunderstanding. True or not? How many times were you accused of uh, uh, you should have understood what was, to- was told to you? But you know what? There's six billion people on this earth, and all six billion people all feel that they all have their own way of doing things, and we're all talking a different language. Ever since that whole thing with the Tower of Babel, we have been a communication mess ever since. So we got to be clear, okay? So you want them to answer back. By doing this, it tells us three things. One, it tells us that they heard what we said, okay? Uh, secondly, the response says that... Um, you know, it implies at least that they intend to obey and to follow through, 
It's like a verbal contract between you and the child, okay? Thirdly, the response gives you an indication of their attitude. See, because what if they say, okay, mom? See, listen, you want to be aware of your child's attitude because, uh, you know, we know about defiant children, but you want to know who we don't know about are compliant children. You see, compliant children and defiant children both have problems. They both need heart work. But the problem is with compliant children, we tend to not do heart work on them. We always give the heart attention to the defiant children. Perfect story of the prodigal son and the prodigal brother. I love speaking about the prodigal brother. He had a heart problem. Remember when his brother came back and all of a sudden they celebrated him after he'd wasted his dad's money? And then the, the prodigal other brother was all hurt and upset and I've always done good. And he had a heart issue. But, he'd, but apparently his heart issues had never been dealt with. See what I'm saying? So by getting them to, to answer back, you are getting to, to, to get a, a, a view into their heart, which doesn't mean that you have to deal with it at that moment because, you, you know, you don't want to be dealing with two, three things at one time. Sometimes you get into that little trap where, where you know, you, you deal with an issue, the child brings up something else to divert you. I do another message called 31 Flavors of Manipulation. <laughs> no, really, it is. A, I learned it through this one kid. He did them all in one session, eight hours, I'm telling you. He's a genius. I think he's an astronaut or something now. But anyways, um, so you want to be, you may not deal with it because that's another issue. That's separate from the instruction. But at least you may take a mental note. You keep a little journal. And the more information that you have, then the better you can deal with it. But if you expose everything right there and then and confuse the matter, of course, you may have that child close up. You know what I'm saying? So you want to be very strategic. So, so those are the three things that uh, you, you get out of the child answering back. It's a skill that they need to learn. Employers love it when they, when they answer back and respond back. It, it definitely um, uh, teaches accountability, um, you know, because you don't want to have an employer or a parent just thinking, you know, well, did she hear me? Is she going to do it? Is she mad at me? You know, all these mis misunderstandings come out of when they don't learn to answer back. So you want to teach them that, okay? Now we have, um, we set up the stage for the instruction routine by getting close to the child. Child learns to come when called. Con consider the timing. Um, taught the child to always be ready for to receive instruction. Now we gave the instruction. The child learns to answer, to be responsive to that instruction, to acknowledge the instruction. Now we, step number four, we wait expectantly. Okay? We've given him the instruction, and uh, we say things like, um, okay, Jack, I told you to do your homework, right? And then we stand there, and we, or we come back and prod. I asked you to, do, uh, I asked you to go do your homework. Um, you need to get going. Come on, get going. And then you check back up on him, or you stay there. Okay, Jack, I don't see you doing your homework. Are you going to get your book out? And you just kind of stand there because, see, the thing is that if you don't wait – or you don't give them the sense that you are going to follow through by holding them accountable, then what happens is um, they won't do it. And then what, what, what ends up happening is they, they don't do it. You let it go by. How many times do you allow these things? And they start to develop this, this bad character flaw. And then what happens? You get upset. Maybe not that day, but one day you blow a stack, right? And that's not healthy. That doesn't do anything good for the heart. Um, so you want to teach them this important, uh, 
routine because what it does is it, it teaches them the character of responsibility. What I mean by that is this. Responsibility is, you can say, is uh, that uncomfortable feeling that I haven't completed my task. That's a good way to put it, okay? Um, and that's what we adults understand responsibility. Oh, my gosh, I, I have to get the thing done, and you just feel the sense of uncomfortableness. Now, if, you, if your son has to get a book report done, and there's a deadline, he doesn't feel uncomfortable. Who feels uncomfortable? You do, right? So how do you take that uncomfortable feeling and transfer it to the child? You do it by waiting expectantly, by standing there and just waiting for them to get the job done. Because you know that they're going to be like, okay, mom, I'll get it done. Okay, good. Well, let's see. And you may have to help them along the way. And they're doing whatever task you told them to do, whether it be their homework or the dishes or clean the room, right? And they're cleaning the room, and, and they look to see if you've left yet so that they can go back and play on the computer, right? But there you are, or maybe you're in the hallway just kind of looking in, looking after them, and then they're, like, working for a little bit, and all of a sudden, okay, Mom, I'm getting the job done. I'm doing it. I'm doing it all right. You're not even saying anything. You're just standing there. And you can see that this little sense of, of feeling uncomfortable, and that is how they start to learn responsibility, okay? It, 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 it causes them to... to uh, to have this, this sense of I've got to follow through with the job, okay? And then you become more of a coach. See, instead of you just throwing out instructions and walking away and then, and then letting them develop this, this irresponsible behavior, instead you do what a coach does. A coach sticks it out with his team players and they just drives them and drives them because if they get out on the field, I mean, and they haven't done what they're supposed to, then what's going to happen? Is he going to lose the game and he's going to look foolish? I hired a personal trainer to work out because if I don't have a personal trainer, I'm not going to work out. I'm going to cheat. You know, I got a total gym at home and I do a couple things and I answer a phone call, get on the computer and, you know, I didn't do my job. But now that I have a coach, I mean, he's going to be bugging me. Actually, they, they have this watch I, I, and this little watch, it tells you how many calories you burn, how much, I don't know, all, these, all, these, all this data and then I'm supposed to check in with him, and he's going to see if I actually did my cardio and all this, like, big brother stuff. You know what I mean? It's just making me feel really uncomfortable, you know? But guess what? I'm going to really like the results in the end because I'm being held accountable. And I remember when I went to go apply for the, um, for the coach, the personal trainer, they asked me, they asked me that very question. You know, do you, are you looking for accountability? And I'm like, what kind of a question is that? Accountability? I'm just trying to work out here. And so they really do that, and they call you and stay on top of you. Not to mention I have my personal assistant and my secretary and my administrators. They're all made it their job to get me to my appointments and everything. So I don't have a life. I'm just accountable to everybody, okay? All right, so, so uh, that's step number four for the parent. Now, for the child, um, what you're going to do is we're going to tell them and we're going to instill in them the idea that this task or this job is as if it were a mission. I mean, if I were you, I'd get, I did it for my son. I got him a little, uh, a little uh, uh, laminated, when he was younger, a laminated identification. He was 007, okay? And I used to use um, that whole game of, of playing secret agent to get some things done, you know? And so you want to tell them that, you know, you want to ask them, you know, do you know what a mission is? And they may say, yeah, a mission is a special assignment or whatever. It's a very important thing, and, and, and a mission has to be accomplished. There has to be. One time I remember I was, um, 
having to deal with with an employee very seriously about a serious matter. And this may sound funny, and please don't take it wrong, but I, I took the theme of The Godfather, I think it is, one of those mob hit type songs, and I put the tape player on, and I sat him in, and I said, well, let's talk about the matter. <laughs> I'm just trying to be funny. But anyway, uh, maybe you ought to get Mission Impossible, you know, sit him down, put on the, the theme to Mission Impossible and say, okay, you know, maybe put a little cap on him and you know, a little gun or something and a little badge and say, okay, agent, whoever you are, this is your mission, okay? And you must, when you're done, we're, 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 we're going to say mission accomplished or and then play a little song. I mean, I'm just getting creative, you know, you can do however you want to do it. All I'm saying is that you want to teach them that the task is as important as a mission. It's special and it must be accomplished. And when you're on a mission, you're not distracted by TV. You're not distracted by computers. You're not distracted by the butterfly that's flying by. You are focused and you are focused until that job is done. And that's the, the mentality you want them to get, the seriousness of the instruction, okay? Now, step number five. This, in this uh, portion of the routine, now the child comes first, okay? The child now learns to report back. So once they've completed the mission, it's not really complete. There's still some uh, two more components before everything is complete. One is they have to report back. That's their responsibility. And uh, by doing that, they are learning to be accountable. Because then you have an opportunity to say, well, okay, let's look at, um, you know, what, what you've done. They, they're learning to, to say, the job is done. I'm here to report to you. Because how many times have you given out instructions? And maybe there's 10 instructions you gave out. You're not sure which of the 10 got done. Maybe none of them. Maybe two, three of them. And maybe you just don't want to nag. Maybe you just forgot. Whatever the reasons may be, you want to put the responsibility on that child to report back to you. And they, they're going to uh, adopt a very good quality because when you're working for somebody, you know, like if you're an employer and you're giving out tasks and people don't report back, sometimes, you know, you just don't worry about it. You'll check up on it. It takes extra time. You kind of give up on them because you figure, well, this is something that's going to, it's not easy for people to acquire this, this quality. But when you get people that report to you and keep you informed and let you know what's going on, man, you want to raise them up to an executive level. You want to give them more responsibility because there's a peace of mind that takes place in the parent or in the employer. Even though the other child might have did the job equally as, as this child the difference is one reported back and the other one didn't. And this gave me a peace of mind. It gave me a sense that, okay, great. That means I can trust you with, with more responsibility. There's going to come a time when you're going to need to take the car to go pick up some groceries. And I need you to report back. You know, if, if you go to sleep early, you want your child in some fashion or form to say, I got home at this time. You don't want them to be coming home at 3 o'clock in the morning and you didn't know because you went to sleep early. You want them to be accountable through the process of reporting back. So uh, the, the last step, the fifth step for the parent is very important. This is where you inspect and release, okay? What happens is you inspect the work that they did, number one. You give feedback. You're able to give suggestions. You're able to do some training. You're able to say, well, look, this is, let me show you, this is good, you know, but let me show you a better way to do this. I remember I had asked uh, someone wants to iron, you know, my, my clothes. And uh, it, was, it was one of the boys in the rehab program. I asked him, you know, would you, would you help me out and iron my clothes? And so he did. And it was a mess. I mean, he just 
botched it up, triple creases, you know, just a mess, right? And I said, I said, so I just want to ask you a question. Is, was this your very, very best? Because if it was your very, very best, I want you to know that this, these are, this is an amazing job you did. <laughs> because if it's his best, right, you know, just a lack of skill. But if you did this half-heartedly, this stinks big time. Well, I kind of just did it half-heartedly. Well, this thing stinks. Let me show you how to do it the right way. And being that I'm a former gang member, I know how to iron pants like nobody's business, right? <laughs> Can't you tell? Actually, I'm lying. The cleaners does that for me. I'm so out of date, huh? Who irons their jeans, right? You know, anyway. But uh, so I taught them how to, you know, flip it up there and iron it and flip it back and all that good stuff. So by doing the, the giving the feedback part of this thing here is, is you're teaching them how to do it better next time, you know? And, and so you're, you're giving input. See, there's, there's a lot of interaction. I'm sorry to tell you that parenting is a lot of hard work. <laughs> it really is. It, we, I mean, I, I remember when I had my first child, I was like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? With, I don't even want to carry this thing. I'm going to drop it, break it. I mean, what, you know, what do I feed it? What do I do with it? I was 18 years old with my first child. Can you imagine? I was married to a little girl who just got out of the womb. She was just barely turned 18, you know? And here we are, we're parents. We have no manual on how to parent. We have nobody teaching us. No, there's no classes anywhere. And here we are, we have to take a real life and, like, do something with it. You know, it was just a really freaky thing. But as, a, as, the child, as my child got older, I, you, you start to realize they just grab the cereal box. They turn on the TV. They sort of grow by themselves. They kind of learn how to feed themselves. They sort of self-maintain themselves. No, come on, let's be honest. I mean, they sort of kind of work things out. They bruise themselves. They get healed automatically in you know, a short period of time, unlike us. But you know what? See, that's the thing is you, you can't just raise kids. You have to train them up. You have to be very focused because that same child who seems to be getting by later on we're like, how could you do that? You should know better. What were you thinking? Well, how should they know better if they weren't taught, if they weren't trained? And this kind of a thing here, by doing the inspect and release portion, it, it allows us interaction and feedback and, and all that. And then, and, then, and then what happens is in this portion of the routine, once we've inspected, given the feedback, then we release. This is so critical, parents, to give the release, the reward, to be able to say, Good job. Well done. All right, you're free now to go and play. Go ahead and go watch TV. Ah, oh, go ahead. You know, you've got your time off. I remember as, a, as an employer, I oversee businesses and things. Uh, somebody would get their job done. I'd say, great, here's another job. And they'd get the job done. Great, here's another job. It got to where people felt no sense of accomplishment, no sense of reward. And I tell you, um, I still have some of these people with me today. I don't know how they made it. But I've learned this concept of release. It's a gift you give to your child. It's a gift. It's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's clearing their conscience, making them, because remember, the responsibility thing put that burden on them, right? The reward or the release removes it off of them. It makes them feel like, wow, you know, I, I did something good. I finished the job. I'm worth something. You know, it just increases their esteem. So you want to definitely do that. And whatever guilt feelings they may have, because let's face it, when we feel like we haven't accomplished our task, we feel guilty. And sometimes it isn't that we haven't accomplished our task. Sometimes it's just that whoever we're working for, they just don't reward, they don't acknowledge the, the, uh, that you've completed it. Or maybe they just keep throwing jobs at you and it's like, okay, there is no end to this. My wife is a master at this. She, she heads up an organization uh, called Elijah Generation. We have brochures back there. 
anyway, it's a school of ministry for young people and a three-week summer camp program. And she always, after every conference, after every little session that they teach and train, whatever they do, they go to Disneyland or they, they, she invites everybody out to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is. And, and I'm like, man, you just, you spoil those kids. You spend all this money. But guess what? Her students are, are I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I know this is biased because she's my wife, but she has the, the best students. She is turning kids around who come to her camp and things amazingly. My own children have been, it was actually started because of my children. And it's something I really saw her really master. And that's the, uh, the whole release uh, concept. So those are the five steps that if you follow, you'll be able to, to uh, instill this idea that children have to learn to listen and follow through with the instructions that you give them. Sounds basic, sounds simple, but it works. What do you think? Sounds a good idea. Well, let's, let's, let's go ahead and try it. What I'd like to do is we have, um, before the break, we have a little bit of time. Why don't we open this up for some questions and answers? Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be related to this, just in parenting in general. But why don't you go ahead and we have a, someone running around with a mic. We have a lady right here. We need the mic guy to run quickly because we want everybody to hear your question. So, okay. Um, when we're standing by expectantly waiting for a job to be completed, I know I cave to the temptation a lot to be a constant instructor during that time period. Um, that seems like it's a bad thing after listening to your seminar, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, you want to, I, I talk about this thing called control versus influence, which is the gas and the clutch. You know, when you're trying to get the car going, you got to sort of figure out you got to feel out how much gas and how much clutch to release until without popping the clutch. And you will at first, right, until you get a feel for it, until you finally let go of the controls. Or is it this way? I'm, you know, whatever. Yeah, you all drive automatics. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I always taught my children, I said, oh, um, driving a standard uh, transmission is, the easier, is easier than an automatic transmission. And, you know, I just told them that just so they would think it's easy to do. So they all learned how to drive a stick. But anyway, once you've finally given up the, you've given enough gas and you've let go of the clutch, you're, you're, you're sailing smoothly, right? Same thing with control versus influence. Yes, you know, if once they've learned how to follow through with instruction, you don't have to do that. And you don't have to always do this, okay? But you want to do this at times because you want them to learn to follow through with the instructions. So if you're... Maybe if you feel or they sense or whatever that maybe you've been a little bit too controlling or then, you know, you may have to ease up a little bit, you know, uh, and, and also maybe in your own spirit or in your tone, maybe, you know, sometimes a controlling sense isn't always the fact that you're coaching someone. It's sometimes just that you're like upset, you know what I mean? So if you kind of sort of gauge that, you know, back off at times, maybe come back and check or, and another thing, sit them down and say, look, this is. This is why we're going to be doing this because I've given you some tasks and you, and you should journal, you know, look, here it is. I gave you a task, maybe get a software program and do like a to-do thing and say, look, I've given you these tasks and um, you haven't done them. So, you know, you might think I'm nagging, but look, I, I'm just going to be checking up on you sometimes and 
we're going to make sure that you get it done. Is that fair? Because if you don't do it, I'm just helping you because I want you to learn this concept. So if you communicate, if you kind of um, get a feel for the influence versus control kind of thing, when to do it, when not to do it, how frequent to be on top of them, how, to, how often to be standing there, you know, maybe go get a little spy cam. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, maybe, right? Whatever it takes. I, I've done that. You know, I, you know what I did, I've done with my son? I put a cam on, on him just to see if he's doing his work while I'm on my computer, you know? Hey, son, what's going on? You know, because he had this tendency to always get on video games. Because um, we, did, we did a computer schooling for him. We have, a, we, we have a school of our own. It's called American Christian Academy, and we use computers for some students. And this kid, because the teachers wouldn't let him in to the Internet, he learned he spent all his hours hacking into the system. And so we had to really work with him on that. He's, a, he's now 19, and he's a genius kid. But, boy, I tell you, we had some challenges with him in school. Yeah. Any other questions? I should, there's a question over there, way back there. I'm kind of on the opposite end of that in that I have two young children and it seems like when I give them you a have, cat, I'm sorry, how many? I have two young children two. and um, they always seem to compete for my attention to help me do the task with them. And, you know, when you have a lot of time in the afternoon, that doesn't seem to be a big problem. But when you're trying to get somewhere and everybody's trying to get out of the house or whatever, it's hard to juggle. How do you kind of... Um, balance all of that and then get yourself ready too you know if they're trying to get ready you're trying you know get them to get ready on their own and yet and they're capable they're capable <laughs> but so you know they still want it seems like my children oftentimes are competing for attention from right. me and i don't know how to spread myself equally to where they're confident enough to go ahead and do it on their own right well it, if i'm not mistaken it sounds to me like some of the tasks or things that they're supposed to do aren't the problem is not that they can't do it or that they won't do it okay so that's kind of a different issue so you don't in some cases you could you just have to tell them you know i i'm, I'm not i can't be here you just, just talk to them like they're logical people listen i i don't have time to always be there with you when you have to do whatever you have to do so you're going to have to learn to do this on your own and i love you and I, at times i'll be there and at times i won't and you just tell them time doesn't allow it. And then you just set them free. So it's, it sounds like maybe maybe you f feel kind of a sense of sort of a little bit of a guilt that you can't always be there for them. Is that kind of how it is? Yeah, and you don't have to. You don't have to because, you know. Yeah, you know, so you, you don't have to feel bad. They're very resilient. Hey, you know what? If... If I can get mama all day long and she's a sucker for it, I, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? But if, if mama can't be there all, at all, all the time, I, you know, I know mom loves me. You know, mom's there for me when, when I need her. And plus, anyways, it's a false sense of security to think that a, a human can always be there for someone. Because, you know, the truth is, I always tell people, you know, I'll be there for you. But if I'm not, you know, you can always go to God because he'll always be there for you, right? Just so that they don't have this false expectation. Because uh, having, having false expectations or expectations is the root of your frustration, you know. Because how many times you get frustrated because someone didn't do something that you expected them to do. And that sounds like a deep teaching, but I've given up expectations on people. 
And if something good happens in my marriage, and this sounds strange, but in my marriage, we don't have expectations. We've been married 23 years, and um, it's liberated us so greatly. We serve each other, and we do things for one another. But you know what? When we can't do things for one another, we totally understand. So did you know that I don't expect my wife to cook three meals a day anymore? I don't expect, I, I'm Hispanic, come on. You know? You guys have no compassion. This is how we're trained. Your mama stands at the, passing out the tortillas and she doesn't sit down until everybody finished eating. Then I marry this independent American girl who is thinking I'm crazy, born in the United States of America. And I'm like, woman, well, what are you doing sitting at the table? I'm kidding. I wasn't that extreme. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm so evolved that she doesn't cook at all, okay? <laughs> and I'm cool with it. I mean, I, I, I make my own meals. And when she does cook, when she does cook, it's like, it's, it's awesome because she cooks great. And I overeat because I love her food way too much. Since I can't cook, I always make little things that are good for me, you know. But uh, I used to think, my gosh, you know, you know, the woman has to cook and has to do 20 million things. And so I gave up those expectations. It's a little primitive for some of you, but, but I just gave up expectations as a whole. And, and so having said all that, I'm just saying that we don't want the kids to have this expectation that you're always going to be there for them. They got to learn to do some things for themselves. Definitely. Any other questions? There's a question over there. Yeah. We, okay, if you could talk into the mic just because, one, I, I have a hard time. Check, check. Here we go. Uh, it's not so, not, not looking for such an answer, but more of an opinion. Uh, you know, it's all great, these steps. And I have one child that, I think this will work on, and I have another child I'm really questioning. And so my question is really just wanting your opinion. Uh, where does physical punishment at times come? I mean, do you have an opinion on that? We, we have, there's, there's some material back there, and we actually do a whole seminar on a toolbox of consequences. And we talk about seven different tools, and one of those tools is um, spanking. And we also do another session on correction ideas that, that change the heart versus behavior modification concepts. In other words, behavior mod is all pure consequences and rewards, but we're trying to change the heart of a child. And so we, we, we talk about consequences that, that touch the heart and seven tools in the toolbox of consequences. Uh, one of them is spanking, but I, I just want you to know that it is one tool in the toolbox. Having come from the Hispanic background and all that, where that's totally normal to, you know, uh, I grew up thinking it was the only tool in the toolbox, you know, and I can tell you honestly, if, if it was, it's a great tool. It's an awesome tool. Okay. Some people do not use it, but I have found that there are so many other tools that can, uh, get the job done without having to go to that place. You just and, and attempt to do something without having strategy and wisdom and a good plan. It's like, it's like a war. Sometimes when you're dealing with these kids, see, you want this intimacy, you want this honesty, you want to be so vulnerable, so open. No wonder they're manipulating you. No wonder they're taking advantage of you. You know, you got you to gotta treat this like that's the enemy, you know what I mean? And I can't let them know my thoughts and I've got to play the game better, you know? Because understand, what do these children do all day long? They just sit there and observe you and watch you and 
see where your buttons and your triggers. And then when they become teenagers, forget it. They're deadly. They're lethal, you know. And you don't want that. You want to see. Now, when you have fostered a situation where you have true integrity, the child honors your feelings, the child respects you, the child considers you, then you get to be vulnerable and and open and, and share your feelings and thoughts to the to the to that degree. But when you have a, a, a especially when they become older and they start deceiving and lying and and manipulating and, and taking advantage of your weaknesses and playing on your emotions, you need to close that up a little bit and you need to go debrief. One of the things that I do is I debrief with parents. Uh, I let them just call me up and just you know call your local counselor, pastor, friend, somebody who who has a handle on this thing, you know, and just unload like and i just we we call it debriefing so that means it's a free zone you don't get judged you even get to throw in some colorful words and we we just kind of like you know okay and then when you're done you feel better then you go in and we give you a strategy you go and deal with your child and you're not doing that on them right because you tend to sometimes dump on your child and that is not healthy at all so we want you to dump on us or, or someone that you can trust and debrief on. And then we want to give you, okay, we say, look, here's how you do it. Here's a strategy. This is how you approach it. Here's a psychology of it. Here's how you're going to win this battle. Here's how you're going to do what you need to do. And then it's, it's amazing how that works. And if you can get it right a few times, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll have tremendous results. Because the whole thing about it is that if you do it wrong, you start to break down that relationship, building up walls, and you know it's happening. There's a deep gut feeling that I'm losing my kid, I'm losing my kid. And you just, you know, we don't want that to happen. And you can, you can intentionally develop and build that relationship. So it's really good news, okay? And uh, I've done a lot of this, done it with my kids, man. I mean, I'm a warrior. I'm telling you what, it's war with these kids. And, and the thing is that when they're real little, like they, you, you, if you don't know now, you, you'll figure out that they're really intelligent, they're genius, They've got life figured. I mean, they're, they're really smarter than you think. Just because they can't talk English, boy, I'm telling you what, they, they have a way of knowing what to do and how to get you. So, all right. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, about toolbox of consequences. I'm going to kind of go through this, um, kind of just touch on each point. We want to use consequences that, that are geared to changing the heart. In other words, when we think about a consequence, Think about what is, what is going to be accomplished in the end of it. You know, what, what is the purpose of this consequence, okay? Will it produce change? And how, how can I still be loving and positive uh, from beginning to end? Because if it doesn't have those ingredients, then it's not a good consequence. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, so first of all, I want you to, to, uh, to think about natural consequences. Natural consequences are life uh, no, that's not the right one. It's the, there's another one called a toolbox of consequences. That's correction ideas that touch the heart. It's the next set of, of uh, slides. Good thing I look back. Okay. Natural consequences is when life becomes the teacher. Uh, a natural consequence is your ally. It's your friend. It makes you the good guy. It allows you to come alongside your child and say things like, oh, you left your bike out and it got stolen? Man, that's so terrible. You see what I'm saying? Because you're not the one that gave him the consequence. It was life that gave him the consequence. I know that the kids in the treatment program, 
whenever they start acting up and they lose privileges or maybe home passes during Christmas time, like, man, man, I'm so mad I can't go home for Christmas. Man, that is a bummer. What an inopportune time for you to have done what you did. Man, that's a bummer. And you just come alongside them. You know, you just empathize with them and you kind of, you know, mourn with them. And, and you become like the good guy. But you know the problem is? When, when a life consequence or a natural consequence hits our children, what do we do? You see what happened? I told you not to do that. And you get angry and you become the bad guy. And you didn't have to exercise it already it was done for you. So you see how that can be a, a big mistake, you know. Um, they leave their shoes out in the rain and they get wet. You know, maybe some brand-new pair of sneakers like, oh, bummer. Man, those were some expensive shoes. I know you, I know you paid for them, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, you got to call me on that one, okay. Um, you know, if, if uh, what happens is you're driving, I mean, this is terrible, but people get into car accidents for driving too fast or something like that. You know, that's a, that's a natural consequence. Um, maybe, maybe the child is mean to their peers and they're losing friends. So that's a consequence of being mean. Again, you come alongside. You become uh, a coach and come alongside. That's a natural consequence. Secondly, there's logical consequences. Okay, logical consequences are, you know, sometimes you don't want natural consequences to take presidents or to be involved because they may be too harsh or maybe a natural consequence may be too long, like a jail sentence or something, you know. You want to come in there with logical. So you got to kind of know when, how to work with both of these. A logical consequence is one that you are in control of, and what you're doing is you're trying to simulate real life. You're trying to hand out a consequence that simulates real life. So uh, what you do is you, you know, if, if, um, if they're leaving their shoes out all the time, and maybe it's going to rain, instead of letting the shoes get damaged, maybe you'll take the shoes away and make them wear some old shoes. See, that's where you're, like, in control of the consequence. Um, this time, instead of getting the bike stolen, again, because it's costing you, restrict them from using the bike. That's a, that's a logical consequence. Uh, a logical consequence would be, for instead of getting a car accident, the police stopping you and giving you a ticket. Okay? So logical consequences uh, definitely shield the person from the natural one. However, I want you to know you cannot always shield your children from natural consequences. Because if you do that, they're going to, you know, can you imagine somebody who's bitter and angry at life? Somebody who's in, 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 in a traffic jam, maybe they're running a little late, and they're just mad at the wind, mad at the air, mad at God, mad at just not, nobody because they never learned or maybe mom shielded them or protected them from, from natural consequences. And you just got to let those things kind of go, you know. Sometimes kids learn how to ride a bike after bruising their knees many times, right? They learn how to balance themselves on a skateboard after falling a few times, right? I know my little girl, she used to always want to go and touch the heater. This is in the early 80s. The heaters weren't like they are today, you know. They're a little more dangerous. And we just for nothing could keep her away from touching the heater. One day I just said, go ahead, touch the heater. And she touched it, ah, and that was it, healed for good. In my house, we, we, we eat a hot sauce, you know, uh, tapatio and all that, right? So my oldest daughter, she just is the one that was always exploring, always adventurous, always trying to grab the hot sauce, you know? Finally, one day, I just, I just let her take the hot sauce, and she just, and she loved it. No, I'm kidding. She, actually, 
You want to know a funny story? Is Ramon and Erica back at the table? They've been married. Today's their anniversary. Ramon and Erica, wave over there. How many years? Years have you been married? No, the reason she said six because she thought I said how many babies. She's got six babies. Yeah, look at look at that man over there. Someone take a picture. He went. Not that little girl. This is the problem in America. Babies having babies. This is a big problem today. Anyway, um, I've known them since they, since I've known them since they were teenagers. Believe it or not, that man who's the father of these six children was my son when he was a teenager, and it's not my real son, but I it, it was in my home and I raised him up. And she was 15 when I first met her, and we parented her along the way. Now they're married with six children, so now I have six spiritual grandchildren. Okay. It is terrible because their birthdays all come one after the other. It's just amazing. But, no, that's cool. Um, where was I going with all this? Oh. Oh, the hot sauce. Her little boy, I think the, no, the, not the new one, but the one right before him that was just born recently, and then you had this other one, and I'm losing track. Yeah, no, for real. I was trying to pull this, this because I have rights with their kids. I mean, I, like have a lot to do with these kids here, you know. I mean, I, 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 I taught them so much about parenting, even had to one day teach them even how to use that one tool that we talked about earlier. Anyway, uh, but it's, uh, what's it, what is his name, Josiah? He wanted to touch and just get into stuff. You know, he goes into my office, touching, opening things, you know, and it's like, so one day he was messing with the hot sauce, and I let him, you know, of course, I didn't want Erica to know because she's just like, you know, going to freak out, you know, but he starts just, he loves hot sauce. Doesn't work, okay, not all the time. Uh, another thing about logical consequences is kind of like restitution. Like if, 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 uh, if, if one of the siblings maybe hits the sister or whatever, takes her toys, breaks them or whatever, you, what you can do is you can, one of the consequences you can do is have him do her chores, you know, for that week. And that's a consequence that, that creates that sense of, restitution, that sense of, you know, um, serving the person that you, you, you wronged. So that's a good idea as well for logical consequences. Okay. Another one is restricting freedoms. This is the third one, restricting freedom. Sometimes the situation uh, calls for this particular tool where you pull back privileges. And we all know this one. I mean, that's one of the common ones that's used. Pull back privileges, restrict freedoms. Uh, if, you know, they're preschoolers or little children, you, you may have to always Maybe keep them right by you and know you can't move around freely because you've been getting into stuff and breaking stuff. Uh, you know, if it's a teenager, you may want to go with them places. And I really personally don't think there's a problem with hanging out with your, te- with your teen and their friends. I don't have a problem with that. Personally, I think that if, if, uh, if your kid doesn't want you around their friends, I would just assume there's a problem, period, you know. And I got a lot of experience with teens. Number four is more parental control. Sometimes you may want to increase that. Remember that whole thing about the clutch and the gas? Increase your parental controls. Maybe the child is failing in school. Maybe they're squandering their money. Maybe they're, they're doing something that um, the consequence is more of I need to pull in some controls because what I'm doing is I need to brace them and kind of gear them in the right direction. So, it, you know, it, it's a consequence, but it's not really a punishment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are... I like to think of these consequences as, as corrective ideas that change the heart as opposed to a punishment, you know? So, for example, um, you are 
well, let me, before I give an example, this tool of more parental control, in essence, is providing more structure. You ever hear the, the statement, my child needs structure, so let's send them off to treatment or somewhere. Well, you can create more structure in your own house. It's just a matter of a little self-sacrifice. Maybe you got to give up some freedoms or some things to create more structure. Maybe the TV can't be left on indiscriminately. Maybe you have to watch what you're watching on TV to provide greater structure. Maybe you need to start having a better going to sleep routine to create better structure. Isn't it hard sometimes for people to go to sleep when everybody else is wide awake and family life is carrying on and all, and the children have to go be sent off to sleep while everyone's having a great time laughing, carrying on? I mean, you know, I know I, I hate going to sleep when everyone's having a blast, you know? Like, I want to be involved in the blast, you know? But I'm too old for that. My kids, you know, especially on Friday nights, they invite friends over after church and all that, and they're just having a blast. I want to be down there because I'm cool. You know, I kick it with the kids. But, man, I'm, like, tired after, like, 11 o'clock now, you know? Cool thing is, the funny thing is that the, all of my, 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 uh, my friends' kids, they love hanging out with me and Ceci. They just love it. And, and they, all, they often joke about how they, they use them to come hang out with us. And my wife is super fun. She is like the biggest kid in the whole entire world. She's my age, 42 years old, and, you know, she doesn't have to work, so she just has fun, you know. But anyway, no, she does. She works. She, she travels and does, like I told you, these Elijah Generation meetings all over the world. They do. Uh, they travel, do missions trips, and all. really cool, cool ministry. So that's uh, more parental control. Disney mobile phones, they're the best when it comes to, in our, in our, um, programs and when we teach parents until that child is really proven to be trustworthy it's a disney mobile phone you can control on on the internet what who they can call or who they can't call and what time they can call and how many minutes they can use total parental control and on top of that it's got a gps tracking system <laughs> you know what i mean come on that's cool hey too bad you know what i mean that's just life and, and with the way things are today i'm telling you please Take it from experience. There's a lot of predators out there. You know what you as adults, you got to realize you're, you're, you're out to lunch and you're disconnected. You just have to accept that, okay? Because the kind of things that are going on in, in dance parties and, you know, among peers and all that, you think that school is like it was when you were a kid. You're dead wrong. As a matter of fact, if you're 20 years old, you're already getting outdated. I mean, that's just how, it, no, really, if you're turning 24, things are getting outdated real quick. Did you know that an average school dance, I mean, the grind and the grooving and all that other stuff is really, really bad. It's so crazy that they have monitors that blow whistles when people are doing their grind right there in the dance floor up in the corner. Like, that's insane. Just stop the whole party, you know what I mean? But whatever. So you need to get, you need to get involved. Uh, you need to get spyware for your Internet maybe. You know, so what? Find out where they've been, you know. Maybe they, they're not going anywhere bad, so good. But they may be going places. Let me tell you something. You think, I know I'm being, some, I'm being general here, I'm sorry, but people in general think that, um, wow, we hear about these predators on the Internet, you know, these isolated cases, or maybe it's increasing. Let me tell you something. The average teenager today is in communication with a total stranger, and it is very likely they may even hook up. Because you think by talking on the phone that there's no hooking up? That's a lie. Emotional intimacy will create a situation where wild horses can't stop a rendezvous. I'm going to repeat that. It was so good. <laughs> but I can't remember what I said. It was that great. <laughs> Emotional intimacy that's developed through telephone conversation and even worse, 
chatting, which lowers the inhibitions. Totally. You can say whatever you want. You know, like, wow, I'm feeling really wow or whatever, right? What it does is it, it cannot, wild horses cannot stop an eventual rendezvous because of, you know, emotional intimacy. That is a strong bond. The four kinds of loves. There's a storage, the, the Greek, four kinds of love. Phileo, storage, eros, and agape. One is a friendship thing, companion, like, you know, I just like hanging out with you. Another one is the emotional intimacy where like a family thing. And the other one is, well, you're looking good, eros. And the last one is, I'm going to give you what you need. And it doesn't matter what, if you love me back. That's agape. And so you have to realize that if they're doing a, a, a storage love going on, it's still a, and then they say, I'm in love. And you're like, you're not in love. You met him on the internet. You walk away as though it's not true. And you're wrong. It is true. They're in love. doesn't constitute the need for a relationship. It just means they're in love, which is that experience that we're getting a bonding and a, and a tie going, an emotional tie. So I'm just telling you, you got to watch out for these things, okay? Uh, if you have a rapport with your child at some point, there's nothing wrong with getting their MySpace password and their email passwords. You know, my wife just got a new email the other day because we're using Gmail, which holds more space. And she sent me her email and her password. And one of my staff members sent me their email. And I didn't ask for it. It's totally normal for us to be accountable to one another. We're not hiding anything, you know. So anyways, more, more parental controls. Um, put those little... GPS trackers in the car, little hidden ones, you know, so you can know where they're going. Some of them even, like, send you an email if they're going too fast, you know. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of cool stuff going on out there. Uh, contracts, you know, write up contracts. You don't have to get it perfect the first time. If you email me, if you go on to callbobby.com, I'll send you a contract that we've used for years, some principles and different things. They work fabulous. We've already done all the mistakes. We've tested and tried. A lot of the teens are now adults. They themselves have added to the contract. So those are some other kinds of parental controls. What else? Uh, daily schedules. Come on. Treat your home like a business. You know that in my home, we have board meetings. The board of directors are my kids, and my wife and I are the president and the vice president. We have board meetings. We discuss family issues. Do you know that one of the ways that we developed our community of, of organizations through the Father's Heart is that we took our community and, you know, we built a school and a church and treatment programs and parenting things and social groups and Friday events and missions trips and all this stuff that we created. And all the kids, if they were going to be friends, the parents had to all be trained and on the same page. Really cool system. That's what we got going on back home. Anyways, um, what, 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 we, uh, what we, oh, daily schedules. What, what we do is we, we have meetings and we plan out the social functions every week. You know, we have a thing called Friday, Friday Night Live, Kick It, Saturday Kick It Club. And so you create these schedules on these Excel sheets, and you tell them, this is your schedule. This is how you're going to live your life. Not only does it help bring, bring more parental control, but it gives them the sense of being able to get better organized and something that sometimes if people don't learn it when they're younger, it becomes a major problem to manage their time. So, you know, I'm just saying there's all sorts of things you can teach your children uh, at the local community college and through internet courses to, to create this better control. The fifth one is spanking. Again, as I said, um, it is one tool in the toolbox. There's two camps of thought on this. Some believe that it emotionally cripples children who get spanked, and others believe it is the end-all answer for childhood rebellion. We believe that we should be somewhere in the middle, Okay that it is not an emotional crippling thing, and, and, and it isn't the only solution for, uh, for consequences. 
there is a wrong way and a right way to do it. Uh, you know, you don't want to be doing it if you're angry. There's, there's, if, if you're running a daycare or foster children, you know, you can get in trouble if you do that. Uh, if, if your children go to public school, you know, you have, you have to think about what it is that you're doing, and you also have to consider the laws of California and all that. So just think about it as one tool. Uh, number six, consequences. Uh, one of the tool, tools in the toolbox is other leaders and other authorities. You want to work together with teachers and with coaches and pastors and civil leaders and friends sometimes of the parents. They may have a different way of, of, of consequences or discipline or, or correction. It may not be the way you want it to be done. But guess what? Your children have to learn how to deal with other leaders. And, and, and also, this is like the natural consequence. You get to become an ally uh, with that leader. You get to be there for your child when they get a consequence from, say, another leader. And you can say, well, you know, son, I know, they, I know that we don't do it that way, but, you know, they still are in charge, and you shouldn't have done it this way. And you get to partner with them. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll create a sense in your children that as they get older, that they don't have to listen to any authorities except for the ones they select. And you don't want that to happen. And let's face it, how many authorities do we have in our life from, from employers, as which, which, which is what I call social authorities like teachers or civil authorities like the governmental or police. How many times have we been in a situation where um, we don't like how they're treating us, but, you know, it may have helped develop some obedience and character and kept us in line and whatever. You know, not every leader is going to be wonderful, and you're not always going to be wonderful. So you don't want to undermine that particular tool, okay? And then the last thing is simply practice doing the right thing. Create a, and do this with many, many things. Do practice routines on how they can do the right thing. Um, a good example is train them how to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for what? For this offense. I'm sorry for having done this and that. Will you forgive me? Now, the will you forgive me gives an opportunity for the other person to release them. But, of course, if you've said you're sorry and they don't release you, that's now their problem. But at least you've given that opportunity. And, you see, this sounds very basic, but how many times have people just said, you know, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, don't worry about it. That's not true. There is something real about acknowledging you're wrong and showing remorse by saying I'm sorry and then saying, you know, if you want, would you forgive me? And if you can't, I understand, because it's not our job to demand it. We're just asking for it. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, when you're married, you will be doing this all the time. And don't just assume that just because you, you had a conflict and the next day you wake up and everybody's happy and, 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 and like as if everything went away. And then what happens? Five, ten years down the road, she comes out with this, well, you know, back ten years ago when you did this and did that, all of a sudden you find yourself all this root of bitterness, right? Can I tell you a funny story? I think it's funny. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. My stories are really, really controversial. But I was counseling this couple, right? They were divorced and remarried, two couples. And we're dealing with their child. And the child was giving us a lot of problems. And so we, we wanted to investigate how we could put our heads together with the parents. Because anytime you get parents together, even if they don't hold your values or they're more liberal or they don't care, trust me, get a hold of the parent of your child's friend and They'll either think you're crazy and they won't want you, their child hanging around with yours because you're too strict, or they'll give you some insight because they're leaders regardless. They're still sovereign leaders over their children. You should honor that, okay, because not everybody's going to agree with you. Well, anyways, 
so, so I brought the two sets of parents together, and we began to talk. And as we began to talk, we discovered where the child was having all this conflict. The, the two biological parents were constantly um, pulling in two different directions. And the child was feeling, who should I be loyal to? Should I be loyal to, to my mom? Should I be loyal to, to my dad? So I don't want to be disloyal to my dad, and I don't want to be disloyal to my mom by being loyal to one or the other. So I'm going to just be, I'm just going to leave them both and abandon both of them. That was the child's philosophy, okay? Which is kind of common for children in a split relationship like that. Because they don't want to pick one over the other. So they just dump them both, right? So, um, so, so then I said, okay, well, then let's talk about you two. Why are you guys having such a, you know, head-butting situation? And so as the wife began to, exp- or the ex-wife, began to express herself, she says, well, it all happened when, when my ex-husband decided to go to the military. And I told him I didn't want him to go. I really needed him at that time in my life. And I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, I went to the military. And I said, well, okay, yeah, you know, I went to the military. And then when I was in the military, she, she cheated on me. And, of course, now she's married to the guy. So he was like, had an offense because of that, and she was offended because he left her emotionally abandoned. That was the whole thing, right? So I said, wow. I said, have you ever asked her? No, no. I said, now in looking back, would you probably have done it differently? He says, well, you know, now that I think about it, I probably shouldn't have gone at that time, I didn't really think it was that serious. I really wasn't listening to her heart. So I said, well, what would you have done differently? He says, well, I probably wouldn't have went. And we would have avoided all these problems, all this emotional trauma. And she just kind of looked at him sort of surprised. And I said, well, have you ever asked, have you ever said you're sorry? Have you ever asked her for forgiveness? And he goes, no. And I said, well, why don't you do it? And he looked at her and he, and he meant it. He says, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I, I really shouldn't have did that. Will you forgive me? And she broke into tears. So practice doing the right thing. Teach them uh, how to walk through routines of doing what's right. That's the seventh uh, tool in the toolbox. So that concludes that session. Once again, thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the tools mentioned in this podcast, you can find it at biblicalparenting.org.